Well, hey, good morning. So glad to see you today. Glad you're here to worship with us. Um, I was supposed to be in Uganda this month. I knew that I needed somebody to fill in and preach, and I began to think, you know, who should that be? And it reminded me that there was a guy who was asked to do a revival at a church, and he went, and the host preacher said, look, I just want you to know that you were our second choice. And he thought, well, second choice isn't so bad. Who was your first choice? The guy said, anybody else. <laughs> but we, we couldn't get anybody else, and so we got you. So Ben, I told Ben in first service, he was my second choice, but it's only because when I made my first choice, I'd never heard of Ben Woods before. And so I asked a guy if he could fill in for me while I was going to be gone, and he said, I can't, but you need to have Ben Woods come. And I'm a little bit slow, and so I said, okay, that's nice. And I asked another preacher friend of mine if he had any recommendations, and he said, you need to have this guy named Ben Woods come. And again, I'm a little bit slow. And so I asked a third friend of mine, these guys are all different ages, different places. I said, do you got any recommendations for me on somebody that I should have come and speak? And this guy said, you need to have a guy that I heard named Ben Woods. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm getting it. Okay. I got it now. We're on a collision course with destiny here. Ben Woods needs to come and preach. And so, man, we have reached out. And even though I'm here today and not gone like I was supposed to be, I said, Ben, man, I want you to come and speak to our church. Uh, We've just gotten to hang out together, become friends And so I'm excited that you're going to get to hear from him today. His wife, Crystal, is here. Just really a wonderful family, and I'm excited that they get to know you and you get to know them. Okay, so let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the privilege of worship. Thank you that we can gather together to to sing and pray and to give and to learn and to share and encourage one another. God, I just pray that through what we do today, you're honored and we're challenged. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church family. My name is Ben. I'm number two. Um, I am so grateful for this chance to join you this morning. What a beautiful opportunity. My wife, Crystal, and I, together, we lead a discipleship ministry called The Brave Way Home. And our heart and our hope is this. It is aimed at calling and equipping fellow wayfarers, fellow believers to deeper living, to deeper faith with eyes fixed on Jesus and hearts set on heaven. We are the people who want to see heavenly thinking invade our earthly living because we know that when you anchor your present in eternal things Our lives are transformed in the way that we live and the way that we love and the way that we lead. And so for us, we get to partner with a lot of different churches in a lot of different ways, with marriages, with families, creating cultures of discipleship, meeting people at these crazy intersections that are spiritual intersections of how they lean into faith. And sometimes we get to be number two. And we get to show up and be in different places and different churches and meet new people because a friend of mine is a friend of his. And that friend said that we should be friends. And so I am just grateful that we get to be here with you guys. I'm so thankful for um, how this all came about. When Mark reached out to me in July, it started with kind of the story that he had just told me. And I'm like, Well, that's awfully affirming, and that's a lot of pressure um, because um, he's never heard me preach until uh, the first service. And so, um, but in all of this, um, just because of a friend, 
said that we should be friends. In all of this, we've become dear friends. We've already, we've shared lunch together, so we've broke bread. He's come and hung out in my treehouse. I have a treehouse. You should come hang out in my treehouse. Um, we've talked about some pretty hard things, vulnerable things, but we've also dreamed together about our hopes for the life of the church. And so I already feel bonded just in the privilege of getting permission to come and be among you this morning and be before you this morning and dive into God's word with you this morning. I'm so thankful for that. But I tell you, um, he gave me permission to preach about whatever I wanted to, and that seemed pretty risky. Um, but but um, I, that's what I intend to do. I want to dive in on what I believe God has been stirring in me, the fire in my bones. But I'll tell you what, what my mama has always told me growing up, and it has served me my entire life. So I'll tell you, whenever, and this is what I say every time I get to be in front of people that I don't know you and you don't know me. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> okay? So if, right, some of you are thinking, Oh, that is truth. We can go home now, right? Um, no, I, uh, if this goes south for the next little bit, don't pin it on Mark. Don't pin it on me. Pin it on Phil. He's the friend who said we should be friends, okay? So um, I can give you his email or his phone number later if you want it. But uh, no, we, I am just so thankful uh, to be here. And I know that in this stretch, uh, there's so much going on, isn't there? I mean, this is a very, in the life of our nation, in the life of our communities, our schools, our churches, our homes, our families, our marriages, it is complicated. It doesn't take much to turn on the news and think, the wheels are coming off in so many ways. And it maybe isn't necessarily that there's more happening. It's just that we are being bombarded with every bit of what brokenness is unfolding all around the world right now. And it comes to our phones, right? It comes directly to us. And so we have all of this coming at us. We get daily reminders of just how broken our world is and how messy it is. And many of us, if not all of us here in this place, we are familiar with heartache of some kind. We're not strangers to hard places, but it seems like the goalposts on that is kind of moving around right now as we see the tension and we feel the tension. And maybe for some of us, wherever we're walking, we feel that temptation to peace out on all of it and say, I'd like to maybe do something different because what I'm doing doesn't seem to be working. And we ask hard questions like, God, what is it that you would have for me in this season? And I'll say this, I know for my family, for Crystal and I, we pray all the time that as the church, we would embrace this season faithfully, fruitfully, humbly, trusting that God intends to do good work in us and through us, that he wants to bear good fruit in us, that there is purpose for whatever reason at this point in history, he has purposed that we would be the church here and now. And so our prayer is that this would be defining of a time in the life of the church, that we would again anchor ourselves to him and we would rally around one another and we would bring light into dark places, that we would be the ones that get to bring and breathe certainty into all of this uncertainty that has everybody rattled. Because let me tell you, God is not rattled by any of it, none of it. 
And so as believers, we step into that story. Now, for me, I think often about how we lean into these moments. And I think about what I've been leaning into, and that is a persevering hope. Hope in grief, hope in hard times, hope in the everyday. And we know scripture, right? Romans, like that this is a hope that is born out of character. It is born out of perseverance, produced from suffering. That's why it's a hope that does not disappoint, right? Because we know God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, even when the wheels are coming off, even in the circumstances that make very little sense, even in the suffering that pains our hearts, whether it's because what we're walking through or what we're watching people on the other side of the planet walk through. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We hold on to hope. And we persevere with purpose. And it's because we are not home yet. We're not home yet. Now, I want to bring some definition because we're going to talk about hope this morning. All right, I want to bring some definition. When I say this word, what I mean is a certain expectation. Hope is a confident expectation of what God has promised to do. And its strength is found in his faithfulness to keep his Word, because God makes promises and he does not break promises. So hope is way more than wishful thinking, okay? This is, to put it best, I would say it is to cherish a desire with anticipation. That feels like that on the edge of a stage that you don't want to fall off of, kind of on your tippy toes kind of moment. That's what we mean when we say hope. And perseverance, this is that I'm not quitting. This is that persistence to keep doing something despite how difficult it is, despite delay, I'm gonna stay after it. I'm gonna keep going. I'm not going to give up. I'm gonna continue the course of action through whatever difficulty, through whatever distraction, I'm staying focused and I'm staying on course. I'm moving forward so that I would see it through to the end. There's richness in these words. And so to persevere is to stay the course. And oh goodness, when we look at the landscape of our world as we navigate the brokenness of our world and everyone is grieving their normal, but they're also groaning for something new. Can you feel that? We recognize that things are different and we have a choice As we're seeking a new normal, we can embrace this reality with the hope of heaven in our hearts, and we get to be a part of that story in other people's lives. But I think it's hard collectively, individually, to embrace this mess that so much surrounds us. It's hard to keep leaning into so much change and so much loss and so much conflict I mean, everybody's canceling everybody, right? I mean, it is straight crazy how much is unfolding right now. But I believe, even though it's hard to keep a healthy head and heart about it all, every believer's heart needs reminded, stay the course. We need encouraged with persevering hope. 
And so if you're taking notes this morning, that is the phrase, stay the course with persevering hope. I want that to be our lens for what we're going to dive into this morning. And here's the thing. I know this. What we write, we remember. Okay? And so if what we unpack today lands on your heart today, maybe it's because God put it there. Okay? And I'm, I'm, my hope is that you would lean into this with me. Stay the course with persevering hope. And now, perseverance That is a theme that runs through all of Scripture. Over and over again, we see story after story, person after person, leaning in because they know, no matter what hard thing they go through, they know who's leading them. But we also see hope. Hope is this theme that courses through the veins of Scripture. And it is ever-present in passage after passage, speaking to the persevering hope that we have. And so what we're going to do today, we're not going to look at all of them. We're going to look at one of them. And it's in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, just a handful of verses that I think give us a clear, practical way forward to hold on to hope, to stay hopeful, to keep persevering, and to stay the course. Now, before we get to those verses, let me give kind of the backdrop of of chapter 10 in Hebrews. The writer, he's beating this drum. He's hammering home the significance of Christ's sacrifice. He's basically saying, this is a big deal. Okay, this is a big deal. And all of us who are gathered here this morning, we should all remember, why on earth would we be gathered if it was not a big deal, right? So the, the writer is saying it's a big deal and there are implications because of this big deal. And in chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And I love that language once for all because this is what it tells my heart. Jesus has paid the price for all of my sin once for all. That means what the finished work of Christ on the cross has done, it is totally, absolutely, completely atoning. It's enough and it's what I need. And so here's what I would set before you All you need is found only in Jesus. And you may know that, but every day you walk into moments that your heart may need reminded of that. You will never stop needing Jesus and you are never gonna start needing him less. Spiritual maturity is not weaning yourself off of needing Jesus. It's coming to terms that you need him always. And he is only going to provide what you need. He's always going to be the one who does that, and it just makes my heart race. But here's what happens in verse 19. The writer turns a corner and starts talking about, that's the big deal. So in light of what Jesus has done, here are the implications. This is the finished work of Jesus. So now we can boldly, with confidence, go and enter into the most holy place, the very presence of God. And it's not because of our holiness, it's because of his. And that should just warm our hearts with knowing he's enough, and we're not. We're not the ones, when you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, listen, you aren't the one that saved it. So you aren't the one to carry it, okay? And he's saying, in all of this, that we literally 
literally can come before him in the very presence of God. And he's made a way that should humble our hearts, that should make them race with expectancy. And so as we continue and step into the story of Scripture, we do it with humility and we do it with expectancy that God wants to do something in us and with us in our time together in his word because it says that his word is alive and active, okay? That's what we're leaning into. And so if you got your Bibles, you can turn there or you got your phones, you can scroll there. Uh, Or if you got your eyeballs, you can look up there, okay? Um, I'm going to read uh, just a little bit here from my 1997 NIV. Okay, uh, chapter 10, pick it up in verse 22. Let me read this over us now. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I love this. All right, we're going to lean into it. The writer here is exhorting the readers, okay? That means to urgently urge. It means to emphatically build up. Now, I want you to hear me right exhorting, not extorting, okay? Catch that? There's a difference, right? When you extort, you take away, right? That's not what's happening. When you exhort, you build up, all right? So he's exhorting the people, the readers. He's building into them boldly. And so I think there's three ways that kind of just surface pretty quickly that we can run with of how we stay the course with persevering hope. And the first way is we draw near to God. Because of this big deal, the significance of his sacrifice, in light of what Jesus has done, the implications, he says, let us draw near to God. Because perseverance can't happen without it. He is source, he is sustainer, and we need him. Do you know how desperately so? Verse 22, it says that we do it with sincere hearts, full of assurance of faith, not with a guilty conscience, but with a clean one. So if we're going to stay the course with persevering hope, we're going to draw near to God. This is the invitation that we've been given, and it hinges on the boldness to enter into the holy of holies, the very presence of God, and that boldness rests on the finished work of Jesus. There's all this Old Testament covenantal language being used in these words to paint the picture of this new covenant in Christ, this new way that through Christ, we get to come to the Father through Jesus. We have an open invitation. We have an open invitation. See, here's the thing. With the old, old covenant, this is what would happen. The high priest, the high priest representing all of God's people, they, that dude could only go into the most holy place, the holy of holies, one time a year. Only one time a year. And you know what? They still tied a rope around that cat's waist because if anything went down, they weren't going in to get him. They were going to drag him out. Okay, you're like, that's messed up. That's in the Bible, okay? 
So here's the deal. Here's the deal. We have an open invitation through Christ. We are invited to dwell in the presence of God all day, every day. Do you know that? Do you experience that? Do you depend on that? Do you enjoy that? Do you take that for granted? Do you try to do things in your own strength and treat that like a backup plan? Because let me tell you, it has everything to do with persevering hope. If we're going to stay the course, we're going to draw near to God. It's the same invitation of James 4, right? We know that one, 4, 8, where he says, draw close to God and what happens? What happens when we draw close to God? He draws close to us, right? It's the same thing of Psalm 78 when Asaph is saying, it is good to be near God. Or in Jeremiah 30 when the prophet is talking about how all of God's people want to be restored to all of God's blessing. And the only way it happens is if they choose to draw near to God, it's an eschatological invitation. And that means this, it's like everything depends on it. It's not optional. Everything depends on this. And so maybe the question for you this morning is, is your life marked? Is your life marked by drawing near? Is there evidence of that kind of fruit in your life? Is your hope sustained by drawing near to God? I hope so. But I know this, if it's not, how? How do we do this? I think that verse gives us three quick little conditions. A sincere, genuine heart, right? Can't be on the other agendas going on. With full assurance of faith, not half. You gotta be all in. And with a clear and clean conscience. You gotta have a repentant heart. You gotta be honest with yourself to say, I can't do this on my own. With the freedom based on the once for all sacrifice of Christ, we don't stand on what we've done. We stand on what Christ has done. We don't persevere in our own strength. We persevere in his strength. This encouragement would not be given if it was not necessary. This isn't a, you know, while you're at it, draw near to God. This is a, no, you won't be at it if you don't draw near to God. It is crucial. It is essential. It is vital. I would say it is pertinent. It's necessary that we draw near to God. And what these believers then and what believers now, what we struggle with is when things are hard, when things hurt, it is hard to keep leaning into the hard, trusting that God is leaning into it with us. We feel that tension. And it's hard to trust that he will meet you there. But he promises to. And I'm certain he does. Because I've seen it in my life. When we feel like our relationship with God is not on track, it's because we didn't draw near on the basis of what Jesus has done. It's because we tried to draw near on the basis of what we've done. That's when things go sideways. And it sends us back 
to the reminder that we don't earn this. We're invited into this. We don't work for this. We wait for this because we receive this. These believers, they were discouraged because they had lost sight of that intimate relationship with Jesus. So I want you to hear me. If your heart is discouraged, if your heart is tired, if it's hurting, come to God. Draw near to him with a pure heart, with no other, no other agenda than just to be near him. And he promises to be there. And when we have this kind of confidence in the promises of God, we can persevere anything. I know for me, the roads that I've walked, the pain, the depths of pain that I am now familiar with, I've learned this. When I wake in the morning, I must get to the presence of God quickly because I recognize that this heart needs that invitation to draw near. I cling to it. In Psalm 34, the Lord, it says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This broken heart, this crushed spirit, I want my day filled with all kinds of vivid expressions of God's nearness in my life because I recognize how much I need them. I need his nearness. In the last two years, my family has experienced uh, more pain than we knew existed. My wife, Crystal, and I, we have three remarkable kiddos. Um, my son, Ezra, this one here on the end, he's our oldest, and sweet girl, cheesing it up big time, that's our littlest, that's Lila. And right in front of her mommy, that's our sweet center, Kala. And I, uh, much like every other parent, in this room, I could talk about my babies all day long. I won't. Um, but in May of 2019, our sweet kiddo, Kala, she got sick. And we learned very quickly, very abruptly, that she was battling a very rare and a very aggressive, still yet to be named, brain cancer. And everything suddenly changed. Everything, these moments, they remind you how helpless you are. And we watched our brave girl suffer hard, hard things, but with a fierce, fierce faith, a dependence on Jesus. When all the things around her were uncertain, this sweet girl was certain. She knew, who's, she knew who she was. And whose she was. Because she knows whose she is. And so, ha, in that fierce faith, she pointed countless people to Jesus. With her love for Jesus and her persevering hope in Jesus. And it was eight weeks later that she was rescued to heaven and home. By her King Jesus, right in our arms. And suddenly, everything means something different. Dependence means something different. Heartache means something different. Hard. The threshold changes of what I define as hard. But hope means something different as well. And we miss her fiercely and we wait 
eagerly for our reunion in heaven someday. We live life between her rescue and our reunion. So we are straight up a mixed bag of deep sorrow and deep joy because we have deep love. But we are convinced that the brave way home is walked with persevering hope. And it's because of this truth. Helpless does not mean hopeless. And the worst things, they are not the last things. There is great joy ahead. And God so graciously gives us vivid expressions of his nearness because he knows how much we need them. Does your heart need his nearness? Is your life maybe distant because you've tried to do things in your own strength and you've pulled away from the one you need the most at the point you've needed him the most? I promise you, the peace your heart desires, it is not found in the absence of pain. It is found in his presence in the midst of the pain. If we're going to stay the course with persevering hope, we're going to draw near to God. If we're going to run the race marked out for us, we are going to draw near to God. So draw near to God. Number two, hold fast to truth. In light of what Jesus did, hold fast to truth. This is one of my most favorite verses. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly to what we know to be true holding fast to where we have anchored our hope, that Hebrews 6, firm and secure, right? Anchor for our souls. We know who we are tethered to. The word unswervingly literally means an upright object in standing true perpendicular form because the foundation underneath it is so firm and secure no matter what winds or waves come against it. That's how we stand firm holding fast to truth, unswervingly so, that gritty holding tightly to the truth because it has a firm grip on you. See, these readers, they were tempted to turn back, to give up. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself there. I have. I'm familiar with this territory. I get it. I understand why they're tempted to turn back. And it's because when we are discouraged, we waver. When winds and waves come, we are tempted to waver. We're tempted to uproot and move to a different foundation, thinking, well, maybe it will be more secure than this one. But the truth is, it is always going to be the truth we've been taught if we are going to persevere. For he who promises faithful, he cannot and he will not deny himself. He cannot. And he will not. The hope we profess rests on the faithfulness of God and his promises rest in his faithfulness. That's why our hope rests in his promises. And the only way that we can stand strong is because he who promised is faithful. And those promises are reliable and they are durable and they last. And even when we don't see what he's doing, he's at work. And so... An unswerving, unwavering confidence can persevere anything. So maybe the question for you this morning is, how's your grip? How's your grip? 
What are you holding fast to? Because if we are going to persevere with hope, we're going to hold fast to truth. Draw near to God. Hold fast to truth. Number three, consider one another. In light of what Jesus did, let us consider one another. This is that pursue the community of God's people. Verse 24 and 25, I love this language of togetherness. It says, let us consider one another. How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together. Let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, when we consider one another, when we spur one another on, when we gather with one another, we keep encouraging one another. And it reminds us how vital encouragement is. And it reminds us how vital each and every one of us is to the body of Christ. It reminds us of how much we need one another and how we are best expressed as light in dark places when we are gathered together, encouraging one another, spurring each other on. We need the encouragement from each other because discouragement comes when we avoid the community we need the most when we need it the most, right? And that's what's happening with these these. These original readers, they're tempted to turn back. They're tempted to desert and abandon because they've pulled back from the community of God. And maybe you found yourself there in the last 19 months, like what on earth is happening, right? How do we do what we do and still do that together? That's the question everybody's asking right now. Like everybody is asking that question. And maybe... You know people who've made hard things harder because they've pulled away from the community of believers. They need you, and you need them. We need each other. And maybe, maybe we aren't to wait for them to come back. Because maybe, I mean definitely, maybe we are to go to them because they need you, and you need them. I love this language of how it paints this picture of mutual activity and mutual encouragement. This is so much more than a good job or go get them tiger. You know that sticker you'd get when your homework came home and it wasn't covered in red, right? Maybe you're like, no, Ben, we never got bad grades. Um, no, this is so much more than a go get them tiger. This language, when it says spur one another on, let me just tell you what this word actually means. And be ready for this, okay? Incite a riot. You're like, Ben, you can't say that in 2021, right? Because that means something totally different culturally. But here's the deal. In God's word, when it says spur one another on, it literally means to provoke one another, to incite riots in one another so that what comes out of our life is outbursts of love. So what on earth do we do with that? Well, we recognize that love is a choice way before it's an emotion, right? It reminds us simply that love is not just gonna happen. It requires, it requires a conscious choice. And when we faithfully engage in the body of believers alongside one another, we encourage one another and we provoke one another and we incite riots, outbursts of love in one another. And I got to tell you another story 
because I can't talk about inciting riots without talking about my sweet Calla. Because here's the thing, in the fall of 2018, this girl, her heart to look out for the left out and her desire to get to Tinka, Romania, the other side of the planet, with her daddy someday to love on and care for kids at risk of trafficking and child marriage. That means being sold. She wanted to get herself there. And so this little girl did what nine-year-olds know to do. And she started her own slime shop. That stuff that gets in your carpet, right? Um, She started her own slime shop and she put it online. And the next morning, all of this was the purpose of raising the money so that she could fly to the other side of the planet. The next morning, she woke up to like 50 orders of slime and the girl was ready to drop out of school. Okay, she was just like, she's like, she gets up and she's freaking out and she's like, I gotta, we gotta be done with school. Like I need, I've gotta make my slime. We've gotta make orders. And all of Team Woods became her first employees and it was beautiful. Let me say this, since her rescue, we've just decided to keep making her recipes. And since her rescue in July of 2019, Our family, alongside several hundreds of people impacted by her life, have collectively made over 1,700 pounds of slime that has been shipped to 42 states and four countries, and over $97,000 has been raised for a place that will be called Casa Cala. It will be a facility in Tinka, Romania, to better care for girls who are at risk of being sold you have no idea how God intends to use your faithfulness. You have no idea. You just know that he will. So step into the story. Step into the moments that you've been given to incite some riots in the people that he has placed around you every day are those opportunities. And oh, how much our broken world needs to see believers living lives filled with inciting riots of outbursts of love. How necessary it is for a broken world to witness a persevering church with persevering hope because we know how this story ends. If we're going to persevere If we're going to stay the course, it will come down to these final things, faith, hope, and love. But why? Are we just supposed to keep facing hard things for the sake of facing hard things, to deal with it, to endure, to survive it? I think this, every bit of what we've just unpacked this morning is tied to and anchored to this phrase at the end of verse 25, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love how the New Living Translation renders it. It says, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Hope held out is no hope at all if it is not anchored in Christ coming back. Do you hear me? Hope held out is no hope at all if it is not anchored in Christ coming back. We are to live in the imminence of this day. We are to live in the inevitability of this day. We are to live as if the dawning of that day is so near. It is just beyond the horizon. And what if, 
What if a watching world waiting for somebody to do something that matters were to witness a persevering church live like that? What would unfold? And so as the day of Jesus' return draws near, the watching world is waiting for a witness. And when we anchor our present in eternity, the promises of God, they pull us forward and we persevere. When we look ahead to Christ coming back, when we know that what is to come will be his rule and reign over everything, we persevere, we stay the course, and we cling tightly to his promises. Because when we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, I'm the guy who says we walk the brave way home. And people far from God will experience the hope that we have and they will get the healing they need because they will be encountering the promises of God's faithfulness bundled up in Jesus. So draw near to God, hold fast the truth, and consider one another. Anchor your present in eternity and you will stay the course with persevering hope and the watching world will have all they need found only in Jesus. Stay the course, church. Stay the course. Let me pray over you. Father, God, it is your word that is so good. And we thank you for it. And we pray in this time that you would root in our hearts what you want us to run with. And I pray, God, as I do every single time, that if anything, anything that has come from me that is not of you, that you would erase it from everybody's mind so that all we would see is a clearer picture of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. We love you and we trust you and we thank you and we need you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.